the Fed has announced that they are pivoting their strategy on interest rates. And we're going to talk about what that means. What's up, everybody? Today, we have some important important topics. In fact, I would argue to say the most important topic of the year. Short term, what this means and what the, the Fed has announced. Let's get straight to it. The Fed has announced that they are looking at three rate drops over the next year. Now, this is a big, really, really big subject, everyone, especially when we're trying to get context to the Fed, its motives, central banks, uh, relationship to the government, um, and what that means for us as investors and as the public. I think it's really important if you are at all a business owner, investor, but even just being an American, you really need to understand how central banks uh, work. Frankly, if you live anywhere in the world, you need to know how uh, our central bank works. Why? Because our central bank is the world's central bank. It's not just ours. Uh, the Fed is the uh, driving force of the world. And they take in the account that. They, that's actually something they think about. Their repercussions of their actions are just not here in the United States. That is one of the primary things of being the reserve currency in a fractional banking system. It is huge that they've changed course. Now, this was something that I think a lot of people obviously expected. They didn't know when. Now, their timing on it is also important. And what they'll do is important because of the time frame in which they set next year. It's an election year. And the Fed is... Uh, I don't want to say motivated, but they're like dismotivated by political things. We will talk about that as well. Now, when we look at the changes that has occurred uh, within the last year or two, it was a direct result uh, from inflation, which was a result from the huge amount of printing, uh, the largest the world has ever seen, over 30% increase in money supply that we did through COVID. Uh, it, interest rates went up to levels that, well, a huge portion of the United States, and by a huge portion, I mean 50% or more, haven't even seen in their lifetime. And this was a shock to the system. But how it played out was also a shock. A lot of people um, did not expect what occurred. In fact, most people, including the Fed. Now, that made things harder on the Fed because the direct result of rising interest rates they would have thought would have shocked the economy so much that uh, we would have contracted into a um, not a deep but definitely a deeper recession than anything we previously saw during this time frame uh, and that would have resulted in unemployment as well as other things which didn't occur now that is something that makes it almost even harder for the Fed. The reason is, and you have to understand, first and foremost, what the Fed does. The Fed is in charge of stabilizing prices, and they do so by uh, expanding or shrinking the money supply. That's what they do. They are in charge of the currency in the market. And they're in charge of making sure the markets don't go haywire. They don't want price fluctuations to be massive or unstable. Uh, they are trying to avoid situations like inflation or deflation. And most of all the recessions in the United States, they're actually caused by the Fed. These are short-term cycles, right? So the actual 
recessions that we are all very much accustomed to are Fed-induced. So the money supply is a functionality of not only the Fed, but also the free market. What does that mean? Now, the free market, you see, is a creation machine. That's what it does. It creates. There is no such thing as a fixed amount of money. That doesn't exist. Never has. Well, maybe it has. But market is created the moment and money wasn't fixed the moment there wasn't debt. I guess that's what I mean. When there was debt, money was no longer fixed. Now, this was one of the most revolutionary things that's ever taken place. In fact, it was really pioneered and brought to us by Italy. Thank you, Italians. Um, they were the ones that pioneered banking and they had debt sustainable uh, debt practices through their use of math and their um, way that they had laws that wrapped around it, which was shaped by, you know, really one family, um, and how they would keep track, archive, collect, everything else. And at the time, it was beyond revolutionary and shifted the world in a way that nobody could have ever seen or predicted because you were basically taking the constraints off the market. Now, while some people think that that's uh, a bad thing, you also have to remember that's what solved basically global hunger was the fact that we could do more with limited amount. So at the time, 80% of the world plus, probably 90% lived in extreme poverty, not poverty. And today our minds are very much warped by what we believe is poverty, period. But our poverty today is wealth of literally 200 years ago. Um, extreme poverty today is very limited in the world. Now, it should be eradicated totally, but it's now, I think, 10% of the whole world. 300 years, that inversed. It was over 80%, like 90% of the world was in extreme poverty. And um, there was limited ways to solve these things, right? Uh, because if you didn't have something, you didn't have it. Now, banking allowed there to be loans that furthered things like innovation, industry, uh, industry, the allowing to make more goods and services that could be transported. Uh, very small things in our world's history actually have the biggest impact. In fact, the things that you never think about on your day-to-day -day journey are the things that make the world go round. And it's the little things that if they ended would actually completely disrupt the world and uh, everyone in it. It's usually not the big things we think about. These things are transport, security, insurance, banking. Um, it, you just can't even quantify the not only good, but where that has brought the world today for mankind. Now, when we look at these cycles and banking, debt has been a thing that's been around for a long time. And we see it in the Bible and the Old Testament. Now, they had a really hard time with debt. And that was because they had no way of taking care of things like um, uh, not being able to pay. And so that could be very violent, and nasty. Uh, but in the Old Testament, we actually saw a way that they used credit cycles to even things out. And that was that they had a celebration called Jubilee. And that was the eradication of debts and you started back from zero. So every so often you had Jubilee and debts were eradicated. You all started back from zero. And then 
it allowed to go continue. Why? Because debt acts like a lever. It's leveraging and you can leverage more on top of more. And so you go through an expansionary cycle that in itself becomes unstable. And then it crashes because it crashes over its own weight. Now, prior to fractional banking and uh, the laws that we have today, uh, that was um, incredibly unstable. It, it, this tanked entire civilizations. Now, they could be wiped out because one piece of the debt stack, let's call it corn or whatever it may be, was disrupted. And that caused a cascading effect within that society. And then the means of production completely ended. So debt is a double-edged sword, first and foremost. I actually like to think of it as a gun. The gun can feed you, but it can also blow your head off. So be careful, right? And you shouldn't be touching it if you don't know what you're doing, right? Consumer debt is bad, right? Investment debt is good and it can be managed and you can actually use it to lower risk, not increase risk. These are basic principles that most people aren't even taught. Now, this was all done um, by stable currencies became the foundation of the debt in which it grew off of. Think about the gold standard. So currencies were pegged right to a physical thing. Now, fractional banking wasn't invented by the United States. It's been invented by other countries. Um, it's, uh, excuse me, not fractional banking, fiat currencies. And it has come, people have gone to um, fiat currencies, then they've gone back. But we're the ones that didn't ever go back. And our fiat currency is still in existence to today. Now, some may argue that it can't continue, that it will end. And I would argue that that's not true. Um, but I will also argue that that, can ver that very much is a possibility of happening. And the reason is it'll depend on how it's managed. And if it's not managed correctly, of course, look at the United States. It's like they do everything they can to destroy a good thing. So when you look at the central bank's role, the central bank and the Fed are the ones that are supposed to be monitoring this supply because there's nothing pegged to it. So we have no gold standard. So they monitor all the money and money supply. The problem with money is if you get too much money and not enough goods and services, all that money's chasing to try to get that limited amount of goods and services, which makes the prices of everything go up, i.e. inflation. Now, if you have a lot of goods and services, but not enough money, meaning people can't buy things, you have the opposite, which is uh, disinflation, or excuse me, not disinflation, uh, but you have an actual, this, this is really scary. This is the thing that actually, people I think are scared the most of. Um, you turn into depressive periods, which make it so the price of goods, services, and particularly assets start to crumble and they start to get into a death spiral. So you can get a death spiral with inflation, but you also get it going the other way around and that leads to depressions. So hyperinflation kills currencies and depressions kill all assets. And uh, uh, the means of production. So everybody loses their job, right? And there's no end to how things will fall. Stock markets, um, houses, all goods and services. Uh, so these are the things, the extremes of the money supply that you end up in. Too much, too little. We see this and it affects the prices of assets. We talk about investing. We're talking about entrepreneurship. That means this stuff is really freaking important to you. And you need to understand it. Now, the Fed gives money to us 
through debt. And they use the banking system to make a little money go a lot farther through fractional banking. So you take $1 and you turn it one made up dollar uh, that was in the form of debt. And then you turn that debt into 10. Now, I know your head's spinning, as is everybody's that thinks about this. Um, but the point is, is that's how they just simply control the money supply. So just think about it like that. Think about it as a big bubble, right? This big movable thing that expands and contracts. Now, but that's not the only part. And this is what you have to understand. Money is this fictional thing. It's not real, okay? So money doesn't really exist. It never really has. You had bartering or you had money. Now, money could be used in exchange and that took care of the bartering thing, which then may have been pegged to something. But just like we saw in Holland, that speculations and values and currencies can all be overdone. And that's why you had the tulip mania, right? And so we see this in stocks. We see this in real estate. You see this in all other, other things. We have contracts. Contracts are money, right? We have options. There's tradable, usable goods. The marketplace is a fascinating and wild place that moves rapidly. And it is a mechanism to create. And people are very creative. And that's why the money supply is not stagnant. That's why the idea that by you having a lot, somebody else isn't getting something is not only ridiculous, it's just plain stupid. That doesn't exist, right? Because the money supply is ever changing. It goes up and down all the time. So you have millions, then you have billions, then you have trillions, then you have, you know, it's just, it's nothing. It's just made up. Now, when you look at it, the reason why it works is because it's made up predicated on value. Meaning that if someone has something of value, somebody will pay it. Now, if you have 10 people that want that thing, prices will go up and down and that value is exchanged. So by more demand, you increase the amount of capital and you actually produce and make capital through supply and demand. All the government does is try to work within this range and make sure that these things don't get out of whack. Now, to say that they can control it is something I actually think the Fed themselves would argue dramatically with, and I would too. They don't seem to have much control, do they? And the truth is, they don't. Now, what they can do, though, is they can destroy it very quickly. And it doesn't actually take a lot. The money supply is um, very fickle. What they try to do is get money out when there's too much. And when there's not enough, they turn on the printing presses. And they put tons of money into the economy, which then supports asset prices. And when you put, because you're changing the supply and demand metrics, all of a sudden, if they're pouring money, let's say you have a million dollars and they start pouring money and you don't want to spend it. You don't want to buy anything. You don't want to invest anything because you think everything's going to go down. Deflation, right? That's the boogeyman. That's a death knell for countries. And so you think everything's going to go down. So everybody starts hoarding money. Why? Because if a price is going down tomorrow, that means your buying power is more tomorrow. If you knew, absolutely knew, that the stock market was going to drop every single day for three months, and then at the end it would go up, are you going to buy tomorrow? No. Are you going to buy the next day? No, you're not going to buy till the last minute possible, right? And so that's a problem. 
Because if nobody believes in the system, everybody hoards money because their money is now more valuable. Meaning that the buying or the purchasing power of that capital is growing every day. That's what we saw in 2008. And that's what happened in the Great Depression. So deflation, right, means there's more money and or excuse me, deflation means the price of everything is dropping. Nobody's spending money or doing anything with it because their purchasing power is rising. Well, by putting money into the system, you are eroding the money's value. So what the Fed does is they say, all right, you want to hold money. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make it worthless. So they start printing trillions of dollars. Then all of a sudden, your million dollars is losing it, whatever, 6 7% a year in value. It's the opposite of deflation. Then guess what everybody does? Spend. Get our money out. It's getting, it's shrinking, right? If you had $10 in 1950, well, that was a lot more money than it is today. That's what I'm talking about. That's why you can't hold cash. Everybody invests it. Everybody has to. Because if you don't in 20 years, what made you rich 50 years later, maybe not hardly enough to live. See, these are the games that are played. Now, it's the opposite with inflation. With inflation, everybody's buying everything because money's worthless. So they're just buying and buying and buying, right? Well, as they're buying and buying and buying, prices of goods and services are going up and up and up and up and up. There's too much money chasing goods and services. So guess what the Fed does? They take the money out of the economy. Now you may say, okay, I get how you turn a printing press on, which by the way, too, the printing press, that, that doesn't really, it's not a thing. It, all they do is just say, we're going to give banks money and you have ones and zeros and a computer go and the banks have more money and then they leverage it. But the opposite is what they do when they're getting money out. What they do is they turn up the cost of the money. Remember, debt is money, people. So when you get rid of debt, you get rid of money. You don't actually have to get rid of the currency because the currency is very little in our economy. Right? That's not really a thing. So you change debt, you change money. People stop buying. They stop investing because the cost of it is too much. What do you do? You get aggregate for prices or for goods and services drop. Now, understanding this, it's actually quite easy to predict the future. Right? All you can do, all you need to do is look at trends and see what's going on. Now, doesn't mean you're going to be right because remember, we have the market that does what the market does. But Overall, these are pretty good signals. And you can see it. You can see when the overall money supply is getting too much and it starts to heat up, things start to shoot up. Prices start to really, really climb. Um, and the Fed can end that all in a second. And nothing is felt more than assets because assets are leveraged, but they also have a cause and effect to them. Meaning that if there's less demand, the revenue that produces from the asset creates value at which it's traded at. And so you think it's going to produce less, so its value drops, right? So now all of a sudden you have stocks, real estate, other forms of investing are dropping, there's less demand, um, and people are doing the opposite where they can't spend as much. Now, one of the quickest way to do that, to get rid of aggregate demand, um, is to get rid of people's jobs. It's really hard to spend money when you don't have it. Uh, so that is a classic symptom that the Fed doesn't try to do, but they know when they want it to happen. It's how it works. You can't have the bad, right? You, can't, you don't get it both ways. It's an, an unfortunate reality of life. And for those of you that think that it doesn't need to be that way, um, 
well, you can figure out how because it's never not worked. And that's not how the world works. If everybody has jobs, everybody has more and more and more money, everybody's chasing the same thing. And prices go up and you have inflation. And so it's just a reality. And two, once again, inflation is actually good. We have to have inflation. If you don't have in inflation is the primary way that you, uh, excuse me, inflation is the primary way that you get debts to go down. The government's debt gets lower because the cost of that debt in 50 years is less than it was when you took it out because the cost of money is dropping. Now, all right, all right, I know this, this, this money voodoo marketplace things. You have a headache. I don't want to give you a headache. Um, only weirdos like me think this is fascinating. Uh, and I think that it's important to remember to keep this simple and understand what the Fed is trying to do. Now, why the Fed has announced that they're doing three rate drops? Because the effects of rate increase, which have gotten rid of inflation, they are now not only feeling, but they're actually worried. They're worried that we go the other way. And people start hoarding money and stop buying everything. And then we get deflation. And so they're walking this tightrope where all they're doing is taking in information and saying, this wild beast, we're just trying to point in the right direction. And we're really trying hard to make sure this doesn't go off its wheels. Now, we're not going to argue whether a fiat system, whether the system is good or not but it is undeniable the results that it has created. The largest drop in poverty and the largest increase in lifespan, as well as um, overall well-being of humans occurred from the time the fractional banking started. Now, that guess could take a huge reverse though, right? Now currencies and being the reserve currency, this has always changed everyone. So the last time we had a huge change um, really was after the world wars, right? So we really took dominance there. But the last empire was England, and they were the reserve currency, and then that failed. And then we became the reserve currency. America has the benefit of hindsight. We get to see fractional banking reserve currencies and fiat currencies work from other empires that have uh, tried and failed and we get to learn. So every time it's kind of gets better. Doesn't mean that it'll last, doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. Um, but there's bad things, but there are also inevitably good things and it's not going away anytime soon. And there's another thing that you have to realize, which I strongly believe, I don't know that you can support 7 billion people on the planet without fractional banking, obviously, but without a fiat currency. I'm not sure you can do it. So we may never ever be able to even go back. Uh, now, when we look at the short term, here's the things that you need to know and understand. The Fed is gently walking into this. So they have a bigger problem. And that problem is elections. Now, the Fed shouldn't be dictated at all central banks are separate. They're not supposed to be a part of politics and politicians. And because of that, they're very nervous about it. They're very scared about it. Um, they worry that they're going to look like they're helping one person or they're hurting another person. 
So the Fed doesn't like to do things during election periods. And I'm going to have more data on this and I'll share with you past election cycles, what the Fed has chosen to do or not do. Why? Because that's the year we're coming up in. And that's why they announced rate cuts previously before going into this year. They're trying to get ahead of it. They're trying to set the stage. And frankly, they'll probably hard pressed, be hard pressed to do anything else but that unless that results in major recessions or contractions that they have to move and act quickly. Other than that, they're going to try to stay out of it. They, they don't want to be involved in election cycles, and especially not this one. This one's going to be brutal, everybody. It is going to be all-encompassing. But it's important to know that um, the Fed views itself as 100% independent, as it should be. You know, we can all argue whether it is or not. Um, that's fine. But it's supposed to be. They're not supposed to look at things in four-year cycles. They are like the Supreme Court. They're supposed to have a wider view and get rid of the trends and things of the day, right? Where it's just mob mentality. Every four years, all these cycles and noise. And you should do the same. You should look beyond it. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. What does that mean? First of all, we saw immediate reaction in the marketplace when this was announced, stocks rose. So asset prices go up. Now, it's not only because they think that rates are going down. What it is, is because a fundamental change has happened. It is the end of rates going up. That's actually what makes it go, go what assets go, or reason assets go up. That's actually the reason why we see this bullishness in the marketplace. And, and, and that is because they now know the market not knowing is devastating. So up or down is one thing, but not knowing where markets are going to go. Investors don't know what to do. Businesses can't invest. Everyone's scared. And we've been in that cycle in 2023. Why? Because the Fed just kept lifting rates. So everybody said, oh, recession. We're having higher interest rates. Interest rates got to 8%. Nobody knew where the top was. Nobody knew when it would end. And that shut down markets, right? And then on top of that, it was even scarier because we didn't have any of the traditional real or uh, crises that we have when we do this, like recessions. Now you ask, well, why? How'd that happen? It's actually simple. We just had so much money. We were. You got to remember, before this happened, when we had inflation, we had all-time saving rates in the United States. People had more cash on hand than they'd ever have. So the bank accounts between people and companies and everything else—they're just stacked full of cash and they could burn that cash for a long time and that's what we saw people kept spending so we had inflation prices were going up but people had all this cash and they just kept spending and then we saw credit cards kick in and now we're at a point where all of these uh bank accounts and all our savings have been dwindled down credit card usage is way way up and we're starting to see that take place businesses who couldn't survive, didn't. Assets needed to be restructured. Risky assets like Bitcoin and private equity, they suffer always the first in these things, the riskier it is. If you were burning cash, it got cut. That's why private equity got hit so bad was because you have all these startups that were just cash burners in a time where cash now is constricted. So they just start cutting all these companies off. So private equity got slammed. Um, real estate gets slammed. Why? Because you're changing the cost basis of the money to buy and invest. That causes prices have to adjust because investors can't afford as much. So assets started to contract and to go down. Um, but Main Street still had cash. Companies still had cash. They didn't fire people. They kept spending money. 
And that's why this thing kept going, which actually made more chaos. You, you, you'll notice if the Fed announced bad news, markets went up. And everybody's like, I, I don't get that. They just announced that people are getting laid off. Doesn't, isn't that bad for the economy? Why is the stock market up? The reason is because they go, yes, bad news. That means the Fed might stop raising interest rates and actually reverse it. Because what you're doing is you're buying on future, not today. So it's actually better to have the Fed change its policy and go down because now you can say it's going to be better in two years. Because once again, all we're doing is changing the money supply. So the Fed is going to increase it, which will allow people to buy. Interest rates will lower. That'll increase economic activity, even though we're not seeing it now, but in the future. That was a lot. But... When we look at it, that's the thought basis. So now moving into next year and the year and the year behind it, they think, thank goodness, the interest rates hikes are over. Assets are going to come down or excuse me, uh, interest rates are going to come down. That means money's going to come into the economy. That means we're going to pick up activity and things will get better. And so people start buying assets instead of dumping them. Stock markets and real estate uh, start to rise. The markets start to function and get more fluid. So these are the things that we look at when we're investing and buying. And this is why when the Fed changes direction, it has such a big impact because now the shrinking of the money supply looks like it's coming to an end. It doesn't mean it's over. And it doesn't also mean that we won't be in a recession next year. That's very possible. In fact, they may be doing it because they think we're going to be in one. Um, and once again, that's part of it. So we should probably expect that. Uh, and if there is a recession, guess what the Fed will do? They'll lower interest rates faster. Now, this, everyone, is a business cycle. This is what happens. We've seen it happen over and over again. Now, when debt cycles get too big and the Fed loses control, that's 2008. In 2008, the Fed lost control over the markets. We also lost control of the markets in the Great Depression. This doesn't seem to be that, right? Those are much bigger cycles. The reason it doesn't seem to be like that because there's cash on hand. Banks are solid, right? It's not just debt. Now, the real problem is, frankly, government debts. And that's a whole other subject for another day. So we're not going to get tied into that. But at the end of the day, I do believe, and I think we will see, probably a mild recession. But if the Fed hadn't announced rate drops, I think it would have been probably bigger. Now, whether it's wrong or right, don't fight it. You are dumb to fight the trend because you don't win against the Fed. Instead, you need to understand it and play accordingly. All you can do is understand the rules and then play by them. But trying to invent new ones, that doesn't work. Not until you get bigger and then you can talk to Congress, right? But you're not there yet. So right now, play by the rules, consume information, understand what the market overall is doing, and don't get trapped by short-term things. That's why when you play long-term games, you win. Short-term cycles and short-term gains kill people. That's what's going on the Fed. That's why the markets like it. And that's what next year is looking like. So now the question is, will we be in a recession or not at the first of the year? And then will the Fed drop rates more? If we're not in a recession, they probably won't. But they change directions. And now, on to a new cycle. So we hope. Thanks, everybody.